Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another two hours of uh, of enlightenment, hush on, of just light in a dark and dreary world. Why are you laughing? Because usually they tell you to stay away from the light. No. <laughs> or, or is it go, go towards, the, towards the light? the light. Yeah, today we want you walking towards the light. You know... It seems like uh, a heavy topic that we might be getting into today, right? It seems heavy. It, it can be. But it's not. I don't think it is. It's not. I mean, we're not. Well, there's there's a portion of it that gets heavy. Well, I mean, it gets heavy when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Right? And then, but then you got to deal with it eventually because that's the problem. None of us talk about it. Yeah, that's right. And then when it all comes down, you got to make some big decisions. I know my wife and I still have to make those decisions. Really? You know, let's yeah. let's make them today. Well, she's not here. Well, we'll make so. them for you. <laughs> uh today we're talking about kind of end of life decision making mm-hmm. and um especially want to focus in on the hospice care. Yeah. So you know, how do you how do you want this to go? You live at a time and a day and an age when you have more choices than ever before. Tons of choices. Tons of choices. I mean, it, I mean you hear, there's people advertising for hospice care on, oh, on all over the place. We're going to find out. It's a huge industry. Yes. Billions. 15, 14 billion, billion mm-hmm. dollars goes to hospice care. By the way, it's the highest rated type of medical or health care. You're getting. I mean, everyone else gets a lot lower ratings than hospice, except then I always ask, well, yeah, but who's doing the ratings? True. Because if the person's passed, then nobody's rating it. Are you with me, James? So with you right now. James, how is it that you have been here three days in a row? It's a miracle, really. It's it's a miracle, really. And it's also my job. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Good to have you back it's uh, great doing your here. job. Yeah, well, you know, after you chastised me about three times now, I figured yeah. I should probably start coming here. But now day. I love, I just love having you here. Oh, I just love being here. Do you? That comes from the the deepest recesses I of my heart. feel that sincerity yeah. you just feel it? flowing. It's yeah, just like a tsunami of sincerity. Wow. That oh, was, I that's love that nice alliteration. <laughs> hey, um, how's Macklemore? Fantastic. We're not the great. band, not the group, not no. the guy. Oh, 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 not. Yeah, how's your girlfriend, uh... A.K.A. McClintock? Yeah, McClintock. How, how is she? She's great. You guys, any news yet? Any? Well, uh, every day's a new day. So uh... No, that's a true fact. That is true. What about your wow. relationship, though? <laughs> He's basing this in reality. Did you see that? <laughs> I know. He's, you know what? He, he would be the best like spokesperson for the president of the United States. Or for the obvious? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nobody can state the obvious better than James. Well, you know. James, you and uh, Macklemore... Um, any anything going on? Any getting closer to you know engagement? Well, you know, little moving on up to yeah. the east side, yeah, yeah. to a deluxe apartment, apartment. in the, <laughs> in sky. the sky. We are moving on up. <laughs> Let's not go there. Okay. Hey. Uh, anyway, nothing. I, I will update you when it happens. Okay. And maybe I'll update you. I, I, you do every day, so because she calls me all the time. 
Like, what should I do about this? He's doing this. What about this? He bought me knives. He's bought me knives. He he talks too close to me. <laughs> he doesn't give me personal space. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. So I'm just here to help. And as by the way, as we're helping James and uh, McClintock, we're going to help all of you. I hope. We're going to help all y'all. Okay. That's how they say it in the South. Mm-hmm. Hey, on the show today, uh, a lot of great stuff. Um, great guest, Jenny Layton, will be joining us a little bit later. Jenny uh, is the happy gal. And so we're going to be talking about hospice, and then we're going to get to the happy gal. Seems like, you know, they may not go together. I bet they do. But we've got some great stuff on on hospice care. Mm-hmm. And a uh, wonderful guest, Fran Smith, will be joining us. By the way, uh, did you know she shared a Pulitzer Prize with somebody? Yes, I did see that. That's big time. I know. That's big time. It's actually Pulitzer, but. The, uh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's call it that. Okay. Call it whatever you want. Potato, potato. Potato, patiti, totami, tovada, bladado. I've never heard that. Someone it's, pronounced potato that way. Well, there's a lot of ways. Okay. You know, there's, there's a million different kinds of potatoes. Okay. Hey, uh, here's some news for you. Okay. Uh, guess who's worried about intelligence? Um, who, who are the smartest people you know other than obviously the people in this room? You, oh. Yeah. Well, thank you, okay. James. Well, still living? Yeah. Oh. Let's just go with those that you know are still living. Okay. Stephen Hawking? Yes. Any, anybody else? I mean, mm. Who's like a smart, just a smart guy? Known for his mm. brains. Maybe not known for his incredible wit. Brains. Brains? Let me help you. Okay. Uh, Bill Gates. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very Bill intelligent. Gates. Have you guys ever heard of Elon Musk? Yes. Yep. Actually. Uh, Does he do, isn't he with Tesla? Yeah. Tesla. Okay. So here's some smart guys, right? And mm-hmm. they're kind of getting together on a very basic point about, it, about um, artificial intelligence. Bill well, that's, Gates. That's is, not real intelligence. Is no, it? no. Bill Gates is worried about artificial intelligence. You got to be careful. If we start making these super machines that are smarter than us, mm-hmm. hey, be careful because you may create a monster. Um, can't you unplug it? Well, see, that is what you would think. But I'm betting if you had a supercomputer, it would outthink you on that and it would have two plugs. And then you'd be like, oh, one, that, I, I, one that's hidden? Yeah, what? The hidden plug. You with me, James? Still got so with you right now. Well, that's the thing is that science fiction always becomes science fact. Well, maybe not always, but a lot yeah, of the times it does. A lot of times it does. Oh, the movie I saw last night better not become fact. Well, hey, by the way, talking about movies, AI has been in so many movies. The Matrix. Oh, yes. Talked about the dangers of it, basically. Mm-hmm. The Skynet computer in which movie? Terminator. The Terminator. That uh, that was a movie that there was actually a movie called AI. There was a movie called AI. I mm-hmm. Robot with Will Smith. There I, you go. Uh huh. I Robot. R two D two. Star Wars. Yeah, that addressed uh, a lot C3PO, of issues. C three PO. Those guys. Wow. Um, by, by the way, just when I threw that out, both your eyes just lit up. Star Trek. A true. Yeah. Battlestar Galactic. No. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Two thousand one. A space Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey. Can you say Transformers? Yeah, I can. Okay. Transformers. So Thank you. So here's the deal. <laughs> They're all worried, not even all of them, but Bill Gates is worried that, you know what, let's let's be careful on this. Let's slow this down a little bit. Sure. Because it can get out of hand. And once you get a supercomputer performing at supercomputer levels, I mean, if you think about it, we as humans don't even handle natural intelligence yet. So we don't so we need a non supercomputer to test yeah. this out. 
We just need to slow it down. Okay. Yeah. You don't need to complicate it. It's it's, it's like um, it's like you know any sort of a relationship your teenager might be in. Exactly. Slow it exactly. down. Exactly. And they don't know what they're they don't know what they're doing, but mm-hmm. they're playing with like artificial intelligence. There you go. Yes. And then eventually, boom, you get T-boned. Yes. And then you're dealing with stuff you didn't even know. Exactly. There you go. See, that's it. By the way, Luna Smart has a mattress. It's a smart mattress that will uh-huh. kind of turn on the lights, actually turn off the lights when you go to sleep. I saw this. I, I was thinking about it. It's a but cover, again, isn't but, it? It goes over your mattress? Yeah, but it's, I think it's crazy. It measures your sleep and then you helps don't need, wake you up. Why don't you turn the lights off in order to go to sleep? You're going to let your mattress make that decision? What if you were just blinking? <laughs> what if you were just resting, but you need the lights on? Resting comfortably? And it'll then make coffee for you in the morning. I what if you don't, don't drink coffee? coffee. Yeah. I know. Will it go get me a... Egg McMuffin? Will it go make me tang? I don't know. Hmm? See? Smart stuff Fix doesn't me always mean burrito, it's smart. <sighs> we're going to get into that. Not the breakfast burrito, but other stuff. We're going to take a break, my friends. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get into this subject, uh, you know... I think it's interesting. I think you're going to be very interested. Hospice. We've got a lot of decisions we need to make in our lives. Let's start talking about them right here on the Matt Townsend Show. After this break on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, my friends, because you got some big decisions to make, and you live in a day and an age and a time in life and in the world where, man, you can, there's a lot of choices you can make as uh, your end of life starts to get closer. One of those choices that we need to talk about is the is the simple idea of hospice care, and uh, it's, I think it's something that most of us are terrified of because we believe that once we are in that space where we need hospice, there's no hope, everything's over, you're just, you're just basically sent home to die. Or you stay in the hospital to die and get that care. Well, we wanted to talk to an expert about it, somebody that's actually written the book on it. Her name is Fran Smith, and she co-authored a book with Sheila Himmel, and the book is called Changing the Way We Die, Compassionate End-of-Life Care and the Hospice Movement. And uh, the neat thing about Fran, uh, she's a writer, an editor, uh, a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for the San Jose Mercury News, and uh, she has taken all of that talent of writing and, a, and really approached, uh, taken an approach on an issue that a lot of us just run from. But there is, folks, a revolution one going on, a quiet revolution happening in the way we die. Did you know that more than 1.5 million Americans um, a year die in hospice care? That's nearly 44% of all deaths are involved, are, are having some hospice care at the time of their death. Um, and now it's actually a $17 billion business of hospice care um, is now is now in full swing in the healthcare world. So... It's a big deal, and it's it's happening. Let's just make sure we're more informed than just being surprised when the doctor brings up the idea. Let's uh, welcome in our guest, again, Fran Smith. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And again, I think the subject is so appropriate. Last night, in fact, I had a chance to go visit a 99-year-old friend of ours, and I got a call. Uh, we actually saw him Sunday, and he's he's just at that stage, Fran, where he just wants to be done. You know, he wants to he wants to leave Earth. He wants to go be with his wife. He wants to see his dad. He wants he's tired of his body giving out on him, and uh, but he he was actually healthy enough that he wasn't in any type of hospice care. He's he's in a senior living center, and uh, I sat there with him last night and just held his hand and we just talked and. It's a, It really – it was interesting for me because it's one of the only times I've had a chance to do that, that how, how special that moment is, how important that moment is, and how much really most of us don't know about it. Is that is that one of the reasons you wrote the book, Fran? You know, that is exactly why we wrote the book. And, you know, what you're describing is just truly beautiful, the, you know, that – the gift that you can give your friend just by being a presence yeah. and a compassionate presence. And that's really what hospice is all about. Um, my co-author and I, Sheila, and I came to the book through the deaths of our own fathers. Um, both we've, Sheila and I have known each other for years. We worked together in newspapers. We've been friends. I was her editor. She was my editor. Um, but both of our fathers died around the same time, and both after very long declines. And my father died in a hospital and Sheila's father died in hospice care, and we kind of talked about the experience hmm. the way friends do and realized the difference that good hospice care can make both for a patient and for the family. How interesting. So you, uh, you saw the contrast. You talked about the difference. And uh, what, what do you, first of all, I guess, just explain hospice versus traditional just hospital care. I mean, I guess either way we're dying, right, or either way <laughs> we're going through a process of, of what? What is hospice care? Care is a program, a service, and a whole philosophy of care. It's designed for people who have a life expectancy of six months. Hmm. Um, if the disease were to run its natural course, but you know these things aren't can't always be predicted in a right. great way. So sometimes people, often people outlive that diagnosis, that outlive that six months, and then they can be recertified for hospice. But it's basically it's a a system that it, it's a holistic approach to care. It provides medical care, nursing care, social work support, psychological support, really designed to relieve suffering and also to get people to a place where they can really live as fully as possible in the mm. times they have in the time they have left. And you, our our book, okay, you called ahead. it a philosophy. I mean, it really, it's, it's it's more like a paradigm that just then involves different medical fields. It's a, that's a great word. Yeah, it really brings together, you know, uh, it, it crosses it crosses all kinds of fields and, and really to support families in and patients in every way possible. One of the great insights of hospice when it started back 40 years ago is that suffering isn't only a medical issue. It's mm. psychological. It's, you know, it can be uh Spiritual, spiritual, it yeah. can be emotional. So, so really, if you're going to support people at that stage of life, you have to bring in support in all of those realms. And and um, it, it's there's a movement. You know, something's going on. If 44 percent of the people that are dying are are now involved or, or using hospice in that process, is it just the evolution of medicine? Are we now? You know, are we now starting to treat, I guess, like you said, the whole person? Uh, it's part 
partly the evolution of medicine. And, you know, that was really those numbers really surprised us when we got into this. We thought it's some kind of fringy thing because people don't really yeah. go around talking about hospice very much. No, right? they don't. Um, so we thought it was some kind of some fringy thing. And, you know, and when we realized how big it was, it, it, it became clear that there has been an evolution. And also there, there's a kind of an evolution in, the, in our way of thinking, I think, as a country. I mean, so many people have seen loved ones die badly yeah. in hospitals getting so much treatment. Yeah, often torture, torturous uh-huh. treatment at the end of life, and come out of that saying there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to do this peacefully. There has to be a way to do this with dignity. So I think we're really seeing a whole cultural shift. And the book is really we tell a lot of stories about people who opted for hospice care, or you know, at, at various points, or you know, who resisted it, or other people who were more comfortable with it, and really show what it can do for. For real people, I mean, everyone in the book are, are real people with real names, and these are real families. Um, and you know, it's just fascinating to see how people can come out of an experience of loss and say, you know, families can come out of the experience of loss and say, "Wow, you know, that was actually a really good experience." Yeah, I mean, it, it, like last night. It's there's something beautiful just by simply, I guess, facing your diagnosis. I mean, and, and I guess it's that that's one of the difficult things is battling it. Let's how hard do we fight, and at what point do we give in and or give up? And it's not even giving in, but just accept it and let it, and then just live. I mean, I guess that's part of that the psychology of this stage, huh? Yeah, you know, one of the things we opened the book with the story of a man named Rusty Hammer, and that was really his name, Rusty. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and he had. A, a very aggressive form of leukemia and went through just, you know, brutal, brutal treatments for, for four and a half years. And, I mean, he had hundreds of, he had more than, uh, he'd taken more than 250 medications. He had more than 350 blood transfusions. Mm. He had a stem cell transplant. He spent hundreds, 600 nights in six different hospitals. And at the point when somebody first suggested hospice care to him, he was horrified. He was in his early 50s, and he really thought it meant giving up. Yeah. And finally, he agreed to meet with a social worker from the hospice just to kind of hear what it was all about. And the social worker completely reframed the question. The social worker said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Oh, wow. That's great. And that got him thinking. And that's really the question at the heart of our book. You know, it really got him thinking, okay, do I want to spend it going to the hospital, spending all day in the hospital, getting more of these treatments? Or what do I want to do? And he realized he wanted to spend it with his wife and his twin kids. They were grown at that point. Hmm. His friends, he had a huge community of friends. He wanted, he thought about writing a book about cancer to help other people deal with the diagnosis. And that really, he realized that he was opening up possibilities um, at that point in his life. And he opted for hospice care. He was on it for six months. And in those six months, he did all of those things, yeah, including writing the book. Well, I mean, maybe that's all we need, too, is um, just that shift to know that it is a choice. And, and it's just a simple question, really. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? But a lot of us, I guess, we feel like we're failing, we're giving up if we choose to not just fight it. That's tough. Right. And, you know, we're, I'm, the book certainly doesn't make an argument no, for not way. fighting. No, it's, um, yeah. You know, but in you know, in in any number of cases, you know, we're the 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 fight becomes just a fight 
for a few more days mm-hmm. or a fight for really a terrible quality of life. You know, so you have yeah. to you have to kind of weigh, you know, where is the fight likely to get me and how consistent is that with where I want to be? Yeah. And would I rather be living for something than trying to not die? Um, right. That's powerful. Is And it's taking over. Talk a little bit about, I mean, there's a lot of myths we have with hospice care. I think like just the simple idea that, yeah, I guess that's just the way you die. But, but right. what are some well, other you know, myths we need to watch out for? Well, one myth is that it's a place. Uh, oh. Rusty certainly had that idea. It's a place you go to die and not, not a very nice place, you know, it's yeah. a dumping ground. And, you know, as you said in the beginning of the program, hospice is in most instances a way of staying in your own home and dying at home. Huh. And survey after survey show that's where most people want to die in the, in the, in their own home and in the comfort, you know, in the comfort of their own beds right. and, in, you know, with the support of their families. Um, another myth is that hospice is only for cancer patients. And in the early days, that was true. It was really designed for cancer patients. But now, most people in hospice care who die in hospice care, more than half of people have non-cancer diagnosis. So people, you know, it could be congestive heart failure, kidney disease. Um, and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's in many cases. So really, you know, all the things that people were dying of. Yeah. Um, and then the book we write about a woman who had um, heart failure and, you know, was, was, was very old and, you know, had been in and out of hospitals and then finally went on hospice care and actually, you know, she was expected to die very quickly and uh-huh. rebounded with the great holistic support she <laughs> sure. got in hospice care and lived for 14 months in hospice oh. care. And in that time, she got to see her eldest grandchild get married and also got to hold her first great-grandchild, and she died just several hours after that. I mean, it really is a beautiful, beautiful, um, I think, lesson for all of us, which is why the the book is so valuable. We're going to take a break, come back more with Fran Smith as we discuss hospice. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We don't have time for the pain. I mean, the reality of life is it just keeps going, doesn't it? And then your your parents get sick. You don't know necessarily what to do. You go to the hospital. They're diagnosed with something, and all of a sudden you're, you're faced with a discussion about hospice. So we wanted to bring in an expert, somebody that could walk us through the process, somebody that's studied it and uh, and has, in a beautiful way, put together her learnings uh, via stories and just information that will help all of us. Her name, again, is Fran Smith. If you go to the website, changingthewaywedie.com, changingthewaywedie.com, it's, you can find her website, and on there she has the book, Changing the Way We Die, Compassionate End-of-Life Care, and the Hospice Movement. And uh, just a wonderful resource for, for any, of, any of us that are at that stage. And with an aging population, my friends, it looks like we're going to be at this stage a lot um, with friends and family and neighbors, and even someday ourselves probably. So let's go back to Fran. Fran, welcome back to the show. Hello. hello. It's great to have you. And 
I, I really, it's just, it just hits so close to home. I remember when we were um, prepping for the show yesterday, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is, this is, this could be such a hard topic. And then I go home and have this experience with this friend, 99-year-old friend, where we're talking about him wanting to die. And um, I thought, oh, man, well, see, there's, you know, this is meant to be, Fran. So teach us some more. How does the process work? When, how does, how is it brought up usually? How do you find out it's time for hospice care? And, uh, and, and, and how does the process go for choosing where we want to go and how we want to go? Well, the, the, the short answer to the question is it, as I said earlier, um, it, hospice is a service for people who have a six-month life expectancy. And if the disease they have were to run its natural course, meaning you're not getting treated for the disease. So typically, you know, it can come up in a hospital setting. A physician can bring it up. A hospital social worker can talk about it. But what, what happens kind of in practice is that doctors don't often want to bring this up. And, and most doctors, especially older doctors, aren't trained in having these conversations. Right. Um, that was never part of medical school training until pretty recently. Yeah. So, you know, what, what kind of happens a lot in reality is that it's the patients who bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, the patients, you know, hear about it from a friend. I t- told a story about Rusty. It was really a friend who said to him, you know, who saw how exhausted he was, how exhausted his wife was, and said, do you want to think about this? Uh-huh. Um, and and in some cases, patients actually actually have to fight their doctor because what happens is you have to get a referral from your physician, okay. and also the um, the hospice physician has to sign off. So you need two doctor signatures certifying that you are eligible for the service. And, and I guess that's just so insurance will pay. Right, that is so insurance will pay. Right. Um, but the really important thing, and you know, I love the way you started the program and the the, uh, the Fleetwood Mac music. But you know, really, it's important to think about all of these things before you ever need it, right? Because the really the worst time to try to make a decision is when the crisis occurs. So you know, we found again and again in talking with people that families who had just had these conversations when they were healthy, and it was kind of an, a- an abstract concept. You know, what would you want? Would you want every intervention? Would you want to come home? Where, where do you want to be? The families who had had those conversations were in a much better position to, to make a decision they were comfortable with mm-hmm. when the crisis occurred. And, and families that really avoided these talks until they were in the situation were kind of like deer in the headlights. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very difficult time to make a decision. Is it, do you just sense that as a, as a population, are we getting more comfortable with death? Well, I mean, because it's we are. I mean, I'm more willing to have this conversation, and I think more and more people are having the conversation. And with the aging population, it seems like we better start having these conversations. Right. Well, I think, you know, you're seeing a huge cultural shift. There there are now death cafes happening where people kind of get yeah. together and talk about death. There are... Uh, there's a, a movement called and an organization called Death Over Dinner, where they organize dinner parties. So there, there really wow. is a, a movement to bring this out in the open. And yeah. you know, if you kind of go back, you know, a generation ago, that never happened. You know, on the flip side, people still, even though hospice has grown hugely, most people still die in hospitals. And even people who come into hospice care co- tend to come in very, very late. Only in the last days or or you know a couple weeks of life even though they have months 
they have this opportunity for months. Yeah. So we still, you know, the more the more medicine we have and the more high tech stuff we have to throw at any medical issue, the more inclined we are to keep going, 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 going. Yeah, and it's um, it's such a personal decision, and yet the idea it's almost like we're dying in a building that we and we might you know feel lonely and cold in these buildings and yet we've lived our entire lives in our homes and because of i guess not talking about it not planning it we don't even know that we have the choice to do it another way sometimes i guess yeah we heard that a lot um you know some some really distressing stories and, and actually often with younger people um because you know older people by the time they get to that stage have often thought about these things, but, you know, if a younger person, 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s gets mm-hmm. sick, often they haven't had these conversations about what they want. Yeah, they right. might have had it with their parents, you know. And, you know, we talk with so many people who've had family members in that situation and, and you know, and ended up people dying in the hospital or coming home at the very, very end. And only after the fact, you know, family members look back and say, you know, she would not have wanted that. She would have wanted to be home with her kids and and really um, had a different kind of support at mm-hmm. the very end. You you've seen a lot of different approaches, a lot um, and philosophies. I'm sure you've seen different hospice care organizations. What are some of the different offerings? What are some of the things they bring that that might you know that are, that increase your options at that you know difficult stage? Well, there are certain basics that any hospice program has to provide, um, especially if it's certified by Medicare. So they're certain they have to offer spiritual care. They have to have a medical supervisor, a doctor supervising the care. They have to offer nursing care, um, social work support. But how programs do this and how they go beyond the basics yeah. really vary from program to program and place to place. So we saw uh, oh, they also have to offer bereavement support. So they don't just abandon the families when the, after the patient dies, but they really are supposed to support the families for at least a year up until mm. the, uh, a year after the death. Um, but, you know, how, how different programs fulfill those requirements vary. So, you know, we saw programs that offer just a huge array of psychosocial services that, you know, a psychologist can come in and do life reviews with the patient. Um, We saw music therapy, massage therapy. Um, We saw programs that offer full range of bereavement support, you know, groups for bereaved spouses or bereaved kids who have lost their parents or parents who've lost a kid, you know, really, really tailored. And then, you know, and on the other side, you see programs that, you know, bereavement support means sending out a postcard on the, you know, every few months to say, call us if you need help. Um, So it really, really varies the kind of range of services that are available. How do you, in the end, how do you choose? I mean, A, it's a subject that people have a difficult time with. Um, it might be something that we're not always looking for, but then I, I'm I'm almost afraid when I see that seventeen billion dollars of uh, of money is being generated in this area. Um, I, I mean, I would hate this to turn into like a timeshare sales opportunity. You know, I mean, is it? How do you how do you choose? How do you well, know? You know, and it's a great question, and it's you know the first thing is to realize. There are choices out there. So, you know, what happens often is, is someone, a fam- family, a patient, given a hospice referral, you know, the last thing you think about is shopping around. 
Um, But if you live in a community where there are several programs or, you know, or, or, or more, um, it really is important to shop around. So, you know, if you go online, there are actually, and we have information on, on our website about this, but there are now several websites that help you compare hospices on certain measures, like whether they operate as nonprofits or for-profits, um, how much on average they spend per day on patient care. So that, that can give you a little bit of a sense. And, you know, I, I, I always tell people that really the most important thing is to call up programs and, and talk to a nurse or talk to whoever answers the phone, you know, get some basic information, uh, three questions to ask, or, you know, what is the background of the medical director? Uh, is he or she board certified in palliative medicine, which is the, the specialty for relief of suffering? Uh, number two, what is the average nurse or social work, worker caseload? Because you really don't want it to be too high, obviously. Right. Um, and and what services do, do you provide? You know, is it strictly the Medicare mandated services or or do you offer ancillary services such as massage or music or art therapy? And um, and see how those questions are answered. You know, in a way, the actual answers to some of the questions aren't as important as the fact that if there's somebody on the phone, if you're dealing with an agency where people really are willing to answer your questions and take the time that you need to have all your concerns addressed, that's an important uh, yeah, signal to that that could be a good program for you. And if it's, a, if it's an agency that's just too busy to answer a lot of the questions and is ready to get on to the next call, uh, that can tell you certain things. Yeah. Did you ever think, uh, as you were watching your father go through you know, his phase, uh, his stage of, of dying in the hospital and then me- talking with your friend and co-author, um, did you ever think it would come to this? I mean, were you thinking, I mean, look where it's come now. Now you're, you're, you're basically an expert, an advocate, and, um, and changing lives. Well, uh, thank you. Um, I, I, uh, like, I, I like to think that our book has an impact on, on people's lives. I certainly wasn't thinking of that when I, I sat at, in the hospital next to my dad. Um, but, you know, when, when Sheila and I were talking about it initially, just as friends and our, our experiences, we really, you know, the thing that we wondered was, why is all of this such a mystery? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are these... Organize, you know, there's this hospice thing out there, but nobody really gets what it's about until the time comes. And, and so that, that really kind of got us thinking, well, yeah. Yeah, maybe we need to kind of lift this out of the shadows yeah. um, and, and, and bring it into public view. And, and we didn't go in to it with any agenda. You know, we weren't pro-hospice right, or anti-hospice. Right. We just wanted to see, you know, what is this all about and why don't people get it more? That's right. And shine some light on it. Yeah. Uh, We're talking with Fran Smith, um, and we're going to come back and continue this discussion. Really, it's it's essential. It's critical. More about uh, how to change the way and understand better that you have choices in the way that you die and how you go through that process. More with Fran when we come back right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. 
to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are learning, educating ourselves about uh, end-of-life decisions. Uh, One of the most uh, seemingly, I guess, obvious, if you're diagnosed with, uh, with some terminal illness, you're going to probably have the opportunity to discuss or at least look into hospice care. Hospice care, uh, a philosophy we're learning, a, a, a philosophy in how to kind of have a holistic, uh, healthier approach, not to just dying, but to how you want to live until your body gives out. And uh, we've got a wonderful guest joining us today. Fran Smith is her name. She and Fran, uh, Fran and Sheila Himmel wrote a book called Changing the Way We Die, Compassionate End-of-Life Care and the Hospice Movement. Um, Basically, based on their their parents, I mean, it was it was the initial motivation came from both of their uh, fathers who who were who passed away. One in a hospital, one in a hospice uh, care, I guess, program. And uh, in the end, as these two friends, Fran and Sheila, talked, they decided, you know, there's some information that that, w- that we need to get out there. So we again so appreciate you being on the show, Fran. Thank you. I really appreciate the, the the conversation. And again, go to the website changingthewaywediedie.com. One of the reasons it's just it's great resources uh f- for everything we're talking about today, but and France an incredible writer. So when you have somebody that can write, there's and there's resources, it's 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 a very very valuable place to go. Uh, one thing I I, uh, I loved about your bio, Fran, is that you you really value the importance of a story and storytelling in in and how that has power in communicating to us and teaching us. Why don't you share with us some some of the stories that um, that you've come across, the the people that you've met, some of their stories, and how hospice changed them? I know you've already told us a few. What are what are some other stories you've heard or seen in how hospice made a difference? Well, there's um, one family that we write about, and uh, I loved the story because it's it's actually it's you hear this a lot. So the the woman, um, a matriarch of the family, she was in her sixties, and she was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer. Um, she didn't find out about it till very late. She'd been fine, and then went, and then she collapsed. And so she was offered treatment options, but it was clear that the treatment was going, you know, might buy her a few months, yeah. uh, would cause, you know, tremendous side effects. And she just in the hospital said, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. And it was the family that had a really hard time with huh. it. Yeah, and you hear this a lot. Um, you know, I've, I hear nurses say all the time that you know they'll go into a house and they have their little hospice, you know, ID badge, and the family members will say, "I, I don't, you know, why don't you hide your ID? Because you know we don't want grandma to know that you're really from hospice and she's dying, you know." And then the nurse goes in and talks to grandma, who says, "You know, says how, you know, what's going on?" And and grandma says, "Well, I'm dying, but don't tell my family. I don't." <laughs> Yeah. Want them to know. So you know that people. So, but families are often so protective of patients, and, and patients know what's going on. And you know, in, in many cases, they know what they want to do. So she wanted to go home, um, and there were adult children uh, who were going to help her. And her husband flipped out. Oh boy! And um, by the time he got home, hospice. You know, hospice comes in fast when you when you 
when, when yeah, you go when that it's route. time, you when know, you need time it. got home, there were the social worker were there, there were all kinds of people there, and they were, you know, they brought the bed and they brought all this equipment, and he just felt like his house had been invaded, and he left. He bolted. Um, and, you know, it was really, really a tough thing for her to, for him to accept that his wife of many, many years was dying and also that she was going to, you know, uh, just die at home. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, we, we tell this whole story in the book and kind of all the, the complications and the family dynamics, but basically, you know, she ended up having hospice care at home. He came back. It was a very peaceful death. And then years later, when he was at that point, you know, medically, mm-hmm. he too opted for hospice hmm. care after seeing how it worked out for his wife. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, it is a family process, isn't it? It is a family process. And, and um, you know, most hospice programs and any good hospice program will define family in whatever way the patient defines right, family. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, it's a family, but it could be, you know, your family could be your community, of, right. you know, your, your community of friends. It's not just, you know, your, your, your spouse and your kids. As I've seen this with um, other friends close to us, and, and one of the valuable things I've just seen is how hospice they they kind of they create these bridges from where you don't know where to for, from where you are to where you need to go or are going but you don't know how to get there and you don't know how to do it you don't know just certain technical things i remember when a good friend died um we were all in the room interestingly though hospice was there and you almost didn't know they were there they just would they gave everyone their space and then they came in and took care of um, this friend of ours and did what they needed to do just to make sure that she was respectable and, and the way she'd want to be. But, I mean, it's almost like they also honor the patient. There's still this patient relationship that is so honored and so strong, and they coach the family. Right. Well, you know, you just used the two great words in hospice care. One is honor. You know, yeah. the, the whole point is to honor the patient and and the experience and and coaching. I've heard so many people who work in hospice, and particularly the nurses, describe themselves as coaches or yeah. midwives of death. Um, you know, not not to come in and do things, but right. to really help families take care of patients. You know, it's important to recognize, and and people are sometimes really shocked by this. Is hospice is not there twenty four seven when you're in a, a home hospice yeah, situation. Right. You know, the nurse might come in every few days, um, an aide might come in every few days, but really the bulk of the care is in the hands of families, and that is a huge responsibility. And a great hospice program will make sure that families are, you know, are coached, are educated, are comfortable, you know, have the resources they need, and... But, you know, it, there's still a lot that, that is uh, demanded of families. And, and, you know, for some families, that's, it's, it's, it's an incredible, it turns out to be an incredible gift mm. to be able to care for a loved one that way. You know, for other families, it really, it's, uh, you know, it's almost overwhelming burden. Yeah. And it is so different. And it, that's why it needs to be customized so much, too. You, exactly. Um, what, uh, as you've now spent years doing this now and thinking about it and writing about it, studying it, what stands out as one of your your biggest ahas, your uh, biggest learnings, as, and maybe maybe one of your most special learnings? Um, well, my biggest learning, 
and it you know in in hindsight it, maybe it's not um it seems kind of obvious but it you know it's what i said before it, you you have to have these conversations before you need them and with rusty the patient i was describing before who you know kind of confronted the question what do i want to do with the rest of my life mm-hmm. you know it was really um an aha for me to realize for him to realize it's never too late to ask yourself that question. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? You know, it's also never too early to think about all of the things that we're talking about here. You know, even though it might be years or decades away and what you think you want now changes over time, right. but just getting comfortable with making this part of the conversation that you, you know, that you have with your family, that you have with your your kids, your grown kids, uh, you have with your parents, and and that you think about for yourself. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, it it seems obvious, but it's not. We we it's almost maybe I guess subconscious. We just um, we don't want to go there. We don't want to curse ourselves or create a problem. Yet, um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it is. It's a. Bu- it's a reality of life, and it's a. It's a. It's a beautiful thing. Well, and you know, t- and talking about dying isn't going to make you die. No. No. <laughs> so you just know, like, so, well, yeah. you, you don't. You don't. You know. And I actually, I write about this in the book, my own personal experience. You know, I, I had to. Um, I had to get past that little superstition for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, early, as we started the book, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And mm-hmm. there was this little piece of me initially that thought, wow, I'm just starting a book on hospice. Yeah. Did, I, did I? Oh, boy, yeah. yeah. Did you tempt did fate? I <laughs> and, you know, it was, you know, and, and clearly um, the, the universe doesn't work that way. No. No, I mean, the other the real surprise is that people, you know, we met that we, we, um, uh, right, I have a story about a guy, a man who was dying of cancer, and he, he, he had not lived a particularly, you know, he was not a Boy Scout. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, he had a lot of tangled relationships, and, yeah. you know, estrangement, and, and in reflecting on his life, when he was on hospice care and really kind of opening up this process of a life review, which he did through a hospice care, um, he, he was asked a t- to describe a time he felt most alive. And he surprised everybody by, you know, he talked about things he'd done in his life and hiking and climbing mountains. But then he said, he also said he felt alive then, you mm. know, at, and, and he was asked why. And he said, because each day has become so precious. And he's talked about, wow. you know, that he had good days and he had really bad days. But on the good days, he felt incredibly alive. And he described one day he went up to play golf and it was really good day and he said i remember when i was walking on the golf green and i could feel the grass up through my feet oh wow. it was a brand new sensation yeah isn't that interesting and we we talk about this on the show all the time sometimes it takes the contrast of the death to understand the life and to value it so it's life mm-hmm. well done fran i so appreciate you and the work you're doing everybody go check out her book changing the way we die compassionate end care end of life care and the hospice movement. You can find that on our website, changingthewaywedie.com, or go to amazon.com. Great stuff. Great questions. How do you want to spend the rest of your life? When we come back, we're going to get into this. We are going to do a little bit of a life review. For the entire second hour of the show, we will give you tools, ideas to review your own life, to prepare yourself for, uh, you know, maybe to get a little bit more feeling 
as you walk on the grass day in, day out. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. More fun, more James Birdsall. Right here on BYU Radio. (laughs) James, uh, we're back in the coach's corner. Yep. And um, one of the things, so we just spent the last hour or, you know, 45 minutes Talking with Fran Smith about the way we die, and we we get to change it. Now we make we get a decision to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, last night I had a chance to go sit with probably the most I don't know one of the most impactful men of my life, like ever. Wow! And I, I only met him about six years ago, probably well, probably more than that, about eight years ago. He's 99 now, and he he visits me. So uh, in my church, we all of the members or congregants of the church um, are kind of divided up, and we we each visit each other. So men visit uh, the man, the men, and a family. And he was in charge of visiting my family, and that was started about 90. Two years of age, probably. Wow. So at 92, <laughs> he would come visit me with another wonderful man, um, and they would just visit my family, and they sit down, and they just ask if everything's okay, and uh-huh. they teach us a little lesson from church. And it's really just so that they're watching out for us, so they, they know that we're healthy and happy, and they're just full of love. Well, so he was doing that, and he did that for years, and he'd come over, and he'd tell these stories that were just incredible. And then... Um, I mean, he was like one of the oldest living men in Utah, for sure. And in my city, he was the you know oldest living. He, in fact, his family settled my city. His really? grandpa and great-grandpa yeah. founded the city where I live. Anyway, he's a great guy. And then his health, you know, started to fail a little bit. He didn't really fail. He just, you know, needed to not walk or come to my house. By the way, up to the age of 98, he was driving. That's crazy. And even at 99, he was still, he's still driving his jazzy. Wow. So he's a very lucid guy. He's a very lucid. I mean, he's incredible. And he's totally got it together. Well, uh, so Sunday we met with him to have our, our visit. My whole family, we gather around his bed. And he just doesn't seem, he doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. He, something's not. And, he, and anyway, it's just basically we just felt like he doesn't want to be here anymore. He wants to go home to his wife. And... We just started talking about it. Do you miss Barbara? Because she died about a year and a half ago. And he just talked about, oh, I miss her so much. I miss her so much. I really just want to go. I just want to (laughs) go. And it's one of those things where, you know, I've never believed in um, that we should, you know, aid someone to die. You know. Yeah. It's illegal. I've always kind of thought it's God's timing. It's God's terms. And right there I'm thinking, oh, come on. But we had the most incredible conversation Sunday. My whole family, we cried. We had a prayer with him. Basically, the prayer was, you know, God, take him when you can. He really wants to go home. 
Anyway, got a call yesterday that he's not doing well, went and visited him. My daughter was upset because she didn't get to see him earlier. So we went. And uh, by the way, he was almost exactly the same as he was four days ago. It's hmm. just, I think everyone's now getting that it's that serious. And we had just had a great conversation. And um, I asked him, do you have any regrets? And a 99-year-old man. Now, I would have some regrets. I would think so. Yeah. And he said, he said, you know what, Matt? I, I haven't lived a perfect life, but I don't. He goes, I've taken everything. I, I've taken care of everything I, I would regret. I've taken care of it all. And he goes, because some of it I had to take care of with people. Some I had to take care of with God. But so regrets he didn't have necessarily. But what kept coming up over and over and over and over and over are a few themes, okay? And one of the themes is that first and foremost, the number one thing that mattered to him was family. Mm-hmm. So and, – and then, and then friends. Well, and, and God. And so probably God first and then family and friends. Um, he loves his family, but he's totally willing to go to God instead of his family right now. And But he kept bringing it up and up. And I sat there and I thought, look at the clarity that happens in a person's life when they're 99, probably days from dying. And I go – I mean I, I just – I wanted to know. I wanted to know what he's thinking. What's, what is he afraid of? And he said, honestly, nothing. I'm not afraid to – I know I'm going to see my God. I know I'm going to see my wife. I know I'm going to see these babies we lost when we were young. I know I'm going to see uh, my dad. And he starts telling me stories about his dad. And it's interesting. So as we're out there in listener land and you're you know driving home, are you living your life in a way that your family can be first and foremost? Are you living your life in a way that your friends can be first in, in top of your life? Are you living your life in a way – that your God can be close to you. Because if we're not, guess what? Then when we're 99, we'll have a lot of splaining to do. Oh, yeah. And it's just amazing. Again, I would, I'm not this guy, just so you know. I mean, when I'm on my deathbed. You're not 99. Tell my hips that. <laughs> but when I, <laughs> I make it sound like I'm just. Like this old man with bad yeah, hips. You're falling apart with your foot yeah, and your hips. Yeah. And... I just drag my leg. It's mm-hmm. no big deal. Um, but so I don't want you to think I think I'm doing this. I just need to do more of it. I need to get – we all need to get our house in order. Another idea that we need to do that was amazing and it's happening with this man is we need to say I love you more. No. A lot of people don't say that. I grew up in families where you know, with my grandparents, we didn't say I love you and then – Later, when I became a parent and had kids, I started saying it to him, and it was like shocking. Like, ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're saying the L word, but with this this man again, who's really a friend, a close friend, I'd say a brother, but he's become like my male grandfatherly role model. I can look this man right in the eye, and I have to yell and scream at the top of my lungs because he can't <laughs> hear me. But I can just tell him I love him, and I can cry with him, and my daughter can cry with him. Oh, and then I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to because I didn't ask for permission. So my daughter says, so when you get to heaven, I have a favor. Oh, my goodness. Oh, jeez. And I'm like, oh, no, careful. And he's, what? And she, she wrote it on a board for him. And she wrote, number one, I want you to tell Barbara I love her. Barbara's his wife. Mm-hmm. And we miss her. And number two, I want you to send me a baby. 
Oh. <laughs> well. And um, first of all, as a grandfather, prospective grandfather. I'm going to say, what, what was your reaction to that? <laughs> well, I was like, wow. Okay. That's, I thought that was really cool. And then Ralph was very clear. He's like, I don't think I have anything to do with that. <laughs> so he managed the expectation. That's, That's great. good. Yeah. That's good. That's great. He didn't great. want to set an expectation right. and then have my daughter mad at him for 50 years. <laughs> so he was like, I'm not sure I'm in charge of that, but I'll basically he said, I'll put in a good word. Um, but he's also clear about his God. He's clear about what he's offered the world. Um, just some powerful stuff. Friends, family, his God, the ability to say love and I love you. All important things as we're going through our life. And you know what? It all makes us better. Simply put, the mere fact that I spent, uh, and now I've had you know two major moments in the last week with somebody that is dying, it's made me a better person. It's made me pay more attention. So when all of a sudden you find somebody that's passing away, somebody that's dear to you in your life, make sure you get closer to them and draw closer to them instead of the fear of it and running away and being too afraid to feel the pain. Sometimes when you allow the pain in, then the, then the peace can, can follow. It's powerful stuff. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Jenny Layton's going to be joining us. Jenny Layton's going to talk about uh, life and how to deal with the curveballs that are thrown at us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. See, now we're getting, you know, we're, we're, we're moving on. We're moving out of the music. We're, we're moving into, what is this, the 90s? We're doing that for Jenny. Okay. Jenny's a 90s kind of girl. She's not an 80s kind of girl with the claw bangs. Mmm. Bangs to heaven? She might appreciate that because I'm... You know, if she is from the 80s, she's an 80s kind of girl, then I just saved her 10 years. Jenny Layton's her name. She's the creator of the blog, The Happy Gal. She's the author of a newly released cookbook, Healthy Eating, The Happy Gal Way. She's a writer, blogger, speaker, coach, and she helps people learn to organize their life and create healthier, happier lives with their families. Jenny lives in Kaysville, Utah with her husband and five children. Go to her website, thehappygal.com. Jenny Layton's her name. Jenny, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Are you an 80s kind of gal or a 90s kind of gal? Well, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by that. So I don't either, I don't quite honestly. I want to answer. <laughs> I did have bangs when I was in junior high. Did you have claw bangs? They were pretty big. Yeah. By the way, James, have you seen James? James has huge claw bangs. <laughs> I don't remember that. Let's just say He's there's more claw style. than bang. <laughs> right, James? I guess so. I don't even know what that would look like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. Look it up. Look okay. it up. Okay. Look up Claw Bang on YouTube and watch a video. Okay. Hey, Jenny, um, did, you know, we, we threw a curve at you here. Because yeah, you did. We, we at first assigned you to talk a little bit about kind of, the you know, death and getting over death and moving on. And I'm like, oh, that's just rough. Mm-hmm. That's not very happy for the happy gal. No, I'm like, but I thought, who could do it 
in a happier way than yeah. you. <laughs> if but, there was someone who could rescue that, it would be me. <laughs> but we we wanted to change it a little bit because so death is just a change. It's just the next step, and we're terrified of it. And yet, our first hour with Fran Smith, we talked about it, and we all learned a lot. It was it was pretty powerful. With you, I want to know what am I supposed to do the rest of my life? Not when death's the problem, but every other curveball that life is throwing at me. What am I yeah. supposed to do? Well, you know they're going to come. That's for sure. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about the saying that you know what's certain in life is death, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and taxes. And curveballs, you know. That's right. It's so true. Come. You're going to get yeah. it, and and if it's a job, it could be a job. It could be. Oh, by the way, this just in. Sean has mm. been frantically researching claw bangs. <laughs> and by the way, the first the first set of photos that he showed me looked pretty much like my high school, you know, core of girlfriends. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, we digress. That so, was not a kind time to be a teenager, was no, it? No, it wasn't. Well, I mean, it was the, it, the 80s were great, you know, but the, the hair was outrageous. The music was good. Music was great. Yeah. yeah. So um, you now here's the deal, though. You're the happy gal. I mean, not you've never had a curveball. Oh, yeah. That's why I had to learn to be the happy gal. That's it. That, is that how you learned? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they come. And the thing is, as I was thinking about this topic, it, they come in little ways and in big ways. And so I think anything we talk about today, it doesn't just have to be applied to a crisis situation right. where there's a crazy big thing that's happened to you. But, you know, there's little things like your day doesn't go the way you want it to or a vacation kind of goes south or yeah. something and so I just think if we can learn to handle the little curveballs that come our way, we're in such a better place when the big ones come. So I think this is a great topic really for any listener because everybody has them. Oh, you bet. I mean, this is the like, like our first hour, the universal issue was death. The second hour, the universal issue, claw bangs and <laughs> uh, curveballs. We're covering a lot today here on the Matt Townsend That's Show. Right. By the way, that is my new book, uh, Claw Bangs and Curveballs. <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's going to do well. Don't you think? That's yeah. like a that's a hit. Um, yeah. So uh, what when people come to you or you, or you were just experiencing any of you, any of your own curveballs? What's uh, what's the first thing you do to to, to not get lost in the rush but, of it all? Yeah, you know, I have a friend that used to say this funny saying. Tell me if this makes sense to you, but this is what I always think of. So when I'm coaching people and we're talking about this, she says. My friend always said, you are always entitled to your first reaction when a dog jumps out of the bushes at you. <laughs> you oh, wow. know? Yeah, yeah. Just that shock yeah. or that fear or, you know, that first reaction, I think it has to happen. Like, we, we're not prepared for whatever is coming our way that's unexpected. And so I think we have to be patient with ourselves and kind with ourselves and kind of allow ourselves to go through that first, you know, the anger or the denial or whatever it is that happens. Because, if, you know, it's just never good to suppress those kinds of emotions. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's kind of a normal reaction, too. You, I mean, if a dog jumps out of a bush while you're walking by, you should. <laughs> if you don't react, you've got bigger problems than a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've taken too many curveballs. Be- <laughs> because it really, I mean, it's if you need to have that reaction or you'll be killed, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So let it happen. Point. It's a it's a defense 
probably yeah. and it's natural and so i think it it'll happen that then people will beat themselves up for it yeah. for you know not accepting it or not being able to adjust right away and so that's a really important thing to just be patient with yourself and be kind with yourself and allow your first reaction to happen right just let it you don't want to let it let let it in right let it in yeah. And then, but you don't want to stay in that place. Yeah. You know, no. you got to know when it's time to, to move on. And so that's, you let it in. And then the next step is you better get a sound bite ready for this one. Do you know what I'm going to say? Oh, I, I can feel it. <laughs> you go, let say, it in and then you've got to let, let it go. It go. Mm. Well, I was, I was there it is. No, there, there it is. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah. You caught James. Uh, he was, he was um, combing his bangs. That's what I thought. He was checking out his himself in the mirror. <laughs> no, he actually hit it. We're, we are in a different studio today, and I think he hit it. He was right on target. He was looking at me. Chop, he was like licking his chops like, oh, I got Aww. it. I got it. And then he... We didn't, we didn't get to hear the full bite, though. Well, you know what? James, let's get it right this time. Let it go! Let it go! Mm. Mm. There, you, you got, you did you got feel that? Yeah. He nailed it. He, he yeah. Honestly, if we had been in our other studio, he's more comfortable there. Yeah, you could tell he's he's this out of sorts. A curveball. He had a curveball. We threw him a curveball, but he still yeah. came back and he nailed. Yeah. Let it go because we had vowed today that we would never use that clip again. <laughs> yep, and it's back. Well, I'm glad to be the one to well, yeah. to make you go way, back on that. Way to bring it back, Jenny. <laughs> way to bring it back. So we got to let it go. Well, okay, so what you need to let go of is the way that you thought it should be, because I think that's the big trap we fall in, is we just get so stuck on it. This never should have happened to me. It's not fair. You know, you just are so attached to the way you thought life was going to look that you don't give yourself a chance to see what's on the path for you now and, and to make something good out of it. It's true, huh? We 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 have this perception of how it should be, and... It doesn't ever add up to that. And then that tension between what we wanted it to be and what it is, that's the pain. Mm-hmm. So you're saying I you got to kind of, you got to crush it, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a quote on my blog actually that I use a lot with clients when I'm coaching it, um, that what screws us up most in life is the picture in our head of what it was supposed to look like. Yeah. And I think that's really relevant. So, you know, I think... Um, a lot of this kind of mirrors the um, the grief cycle that happens at different steps of grief. Yeah. And um, you just have to grieve sometimes what you thought life was going to look like. Or, I mean, we're talking, we started out the segment talking about sometimes these are just little things like your vacation not going right or, you know, the day not working out the way you thought it was going to. You can do this on a smaller scale and just go, you know, I thought that t- for today to be a good day, it was going to have to look like this, but I'm realizing that... I got to let that go because it's not going to happen. And right. if you keep trying to stay stuck in that, boy, you just, I, I find myself getting impatient and ornery with people. Not a happy gal. So. Yeah, not, and, and, <laughs> and that's scary. Yeah. Because when, that, that's such a, it's actually such a great idea because if you, if you could just start noticing, oh, look, I'm just stuck in the thought of what it was supposed to be in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a weird way, and I don't know why I do this, but I don't, I don't always plan ahead enough to know what it should be. So mm-hmm. I'm always pleasantly surprised how it turns out. <laughs> I love that, Matt. Isn't that, it's, it's kind of pathetic. Well, probably you by nature handle curveballs better because you're not really attached to a certain outcome yeah. already. Yeah. That's probably, you know, I'm a, that is, yeah. 
I'm a little bit of a planner, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm quite visionary in what I'd like to accomplish or how I want things to go. And so for me, this has been a really big thing that I've had to learn, just That's so good. that I can be happy day to day. And then when the big things hit, oh boy. Yeah. Do, I, do you want to hear about one of my big things? Yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound so bad. So I had four kids and was done, done, done because I was just at that overwhelmed yeah. mom place. And then unexpectedly oh. found out I was going to have another baby. Oh, and blessings from heaven. Well, I know. But you, you I know, were, those but were blessings you weren't wanting. They, I was. At the time. Wow. Well, we lost her. But what, here's the deal. It, it's not bad because we, we needed to take a break anyway. We're going to get her back on the phone. Jenny Layton. Now, what I'm hoping is that when her child heard that, you know, that he was like a surprise, I'm hoping that he didn't. Cut the oh, phone line. We had the same thing happen. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's we had. Common. We thought we were done yeah. having kids, and then all of a sudden, my wife told me, um, "No, we're not." That's right. Oh, it's okay. a curve. It's a curve. It ball. is. Yes. And the reality is, that's life. And in fact, another curve ball. Curve ball. Jenny's child apparently cut her line. That's true. So we'll be back. Uh, try to get Jenny Layton back on the phone and continue this discussion about curve balls. How to manage the. The curves that are uh, hitting us in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You know, we got to get over you. One way to do that, go ask that person that really frustrates you for a picture of them in the 80s. And when you see enough of their scrapbook, you'll be over them. Sean still is (laughs) researching claw bangs. I make one comment about a claw bang, and now he's got, like, Eddie Van Halen hair. He's got claw bangs on the gals. Woo! Thank heavens the 80s are over. We are back, my friends. Jenny Layton is back on the phone. Uh, Jenny is the, uh, the landlady of The Happy Gal. She owns the property and is running the great website, The Happy Gal. She is a, also the author of a, a healthy cookbook uh, called Healthy Eating the Happy Gal Way. And uh, Jenny, you still alive? I'm still here. <laughs> we were worried I'd... that your child, uh, when he heard you talking about the surprise that he was, that uh, he cut your line. I know. I think this is a message I just shouldn't be bringing up my kids yeah. on the phone. I've oh, gotten yeah. into trouble before. Have you? When I've done this. Oh, well. well with you. But you know what? Just, hey, be careful because you're, we all, everybody on this earth has had a little surprise here or there when it comes to children. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and it's a good surprise yeah, because they're I great know that surprises. there's a lot of people that would just love love to have a surprise like that. You bet. You bet. <laughs> but the point, you know, the point though is that um once I'd allowed myself the time to, you know, get get through I was experiencing and to let go of what I thought needed to happen, it actually opened up, I mean, a, such a greater world yeah. to me. 
because that child is such a blessing and such a delight. And you can't so, see it. If you're so caught on to what you have or what you think it should be or what you want, then sometimes you don't have the perspective of what things could be. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So, so first thing we need to do to in order to kind of deal with life's curveballs, let go of the way you think it needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's great advice. Yeah. Then yeah. what? Well, and then I love this next part so much. Um, I'm a religious person, so I believe in a higher power. And so I I would hope that a lot of listeners would have um, something greater than themselves that they believe in, because I just think to get through some of the really tough things, you just have to believe that there is a greater plan out there that's Mm. designed than what you currently were designing yourself. You bet. So you got to trust, really. That's faith, I guess. Trust is such a hard one, too, because boy, you just want to feel in control of things, and that curveball wipes out all your perceptions of control, and all there is left to do is try to cling to the scraps of control, which is your old paradigm, or you just have to decide to trust that there's another plan, and it's going to be better, and that's such a more peaceful and happy place to be. You bet. Is... um... And I mean, and you, you use kind of your your uh, spiritual beliefs, your faith as as a guide. I mean, there are other ways. I mean, people that don't go to church or aren't spiritual, they, they might just use nature. They might just feel peace. They might. I mean, there's a million different ways to kind of anchor yourself in. Yeah. You know, so it's. Yeah. But, you, but it's interesting. And I think it's really powerful that you have you have that that kind of bigger map to what your life is about that you can draw on and trust in when you just got hit with a curveball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's just such a relief because as much as we want to be in control, it's a huge burden to feel like you have to control everything. And yeah. when um, life is trying to teach you a different way and and you give into that and you trust it, it's, it's actually when you are following the different steps, it, there's a point where it's just such a relief to just give away that control and just say, okay, I'm just going to trust. And that's where the magic really starts to happen, I think. Well, and that's I do too. And that's a big part of the AA program, Alcoholics Anonymous, is at some point you just got to kind of turn it over to a higher power. And, mm-hmm. and and trust in it and just, you know, and see if you can get clarity later if you don't have it right now. What's the next thing? What's the third thing we should do to deal with life's curveballs? Well, I think that opens up the way for a little bit more of a playful attitude when it comes to dealing with these types of situations. And that is to actually, instead of um, resisting it and dreading it and fighting it, become curious about the new possibilities. Curiosity is a really fun energy to be in and it allows a lot of possibilities i think well, that now, are better and different now jenny uh there's a phrase that says that curiosity killed the cat <laughs> so so yeah. i guess is there's probably not a downside to being too curious i mean I, well, right we're, I mean, not, we're not talking about cats today so maybe uh, that doesn't apply that's true that's <laughs> but so thanks true for, thanks for including that you i know, just you know i know a lot of quotes yeah, <laughs> and I like to incorporate them in. But the idea, well, you 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 equated curiosity with like an energy, and an, mm-hmm. an excitement, and, and it really is because if all of a sudden we have no curiosity in our lives anymore, then I guess we're done. We yeah. we figured it all out. Well, or we're really stuck in old ways that aren't working, right. which ultimately keeps us unhappy. You bet. At, on a smaller scale. 
I have implemented this technique a lot. And again, this is going to come back to my personality, which um, is a little different than yours. Let's see. Let's see. I, you know, I am really, I have a vision for what my day is going to look like each day. You know, I have a to-do list. I I kind of know what I want it to be. And it used to really throw me off when something would happen that was a curveball. And, and so it would kind of make for not a good day and not a good mood. And I have learned that because they're inevitable and they're going to happen and really kind of trusting that there's a better way maybe than what I thought would be the day, um, I'm, I get a little curious, like, hmm, I still need to get this done, and it looks like now my kids are doing all of this, or, you know, there's this crisis that I have to take care of, or whatever it is. So I kind of wonder how this is all going to work out, because I know it's going to work out. Right. So it just lightens things up, and it allows me to experience life in a fresher way, in a lighter way. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, um, there's just, I, I love the connection you made to the energy. That lighter way is a, is an energy. It's kind of more of a hope, and it's um, mm-hmm. and it's an excitement. And I guess it really is. It's kind of like a faith because you don't know what's going to happen, and a hope that it'll turn out good. And yet, and the curiosity means you're humble enough to kind of keep looking. You don't mm-hmm. assume you've got the answer. I love that you use the word humble too. That just came to my mind too because then I think you're pliable. Yeah, you know, there like you, go. you can go with the flow and really make something out of the new circumstance versus yeah. being so rigid and so attached to the old way that you miss the opportunities. And so it's not very fun. That's right. Good stuff. And you, and again, I, if somebody's pitching a curveball to you and you think it's a fastball and you're not mm-hmm. curious to what it is, you're going to, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. So at some point, curiosity keeps your eyes open. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that you can kind of read stuff that, that's going on. What's uh, what's number four? What's the fourth trick to dealing with curveballs in life? Well, this was just a little something that I that I try to implement myself. I've I've learned as I navigate through my life, and there's things that come up that are hard. It always ends up working out great. It's maybe not the outcome I would have picked, but I become a better person for it, or there's certain opportunities that are opened up, and I always end up being grateful. Sometimes it takes a long time for me to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Other times it's quicker, but that's the outcome inevitably. And so hindsight being 2020, you can look back and go, man, if I'd known how good it was going to be, it would have been so much easier. So my thought is accelerate that hindsight process, Mm. you know, give it your best guess and just say, okay, there's going to be something about this I'm grateful for. Can I guess at what that is and start operating out of that paradigm right now so that I can maybe speed up this process and, and start to legitimately feel that way. That is great. Accelerating hindsight. I mean, because really, yeah. we we can anticipate it. We've lived on Earth long enough to know to know ourselves, and we just don't actually pause and, and think we need to own this thought process right now. We just kind of let life happen. You're saying mm-hmm. anticipate it. Mm-hmm. Look ahead and oh. find, find the good, find the good hindsight, the good reason for why this is, find the gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. You know, you're taught your whole life. Gratitude's good. Be grateful. It's powerful. But I, for me, as time goes by more and more, I realize how, what a key role that plays in a happy life. It, it really almost everything comes down to being able to find the good and being grateful. We just had a professor uh, 
on the show a couple days ago that talked about, I mean, the research in gratitude is like overwhelmingly validating now that you you got to master that skill. If you want to make it through this life, gratitude is is the great equalizer to, to get rid of a lot of this pain. It really is. It's kind of like, um, like it, it immunizes you, yeah. I think against a lot of the negativity. And the key, though, I think, is that it doesn't feel very easy. You know, I mean, I've got parents going through a divorce right now, and it's Mm, hard to feel grateful about what's going on. And so it's been a really deliberate process to go, you know, I know there will be good that comes of this. I'm grateful for the growth that we're all experiencing. Oh, it's so hard, though. It Um, is. It's really difficult. Well, you've taught us four principles so far. we got one more. Let me go through them, though. Let go of the way it used to be. Trust what is happening. Be curious about the new possibilities. Try to accelerate your hindsight. And number five is what? Well, I kind of covered it actually at the beginning when I talked about allowing your first reaction. But I think it's just to be kind to yourself and be patient with yourself throughout the process because we're not talking about easy things that we're going to just sail gracefully through. Right. And so I see a lot of people um, do a lot of regression or stay stuck because they are hard on themselves and they don't allow themselves the proper time that they need to, to process. So I think it's just really important to be a friend to yourself and to not expect too much out of yourself. Yeah, and be patient with the goal of progress. I always say not perfection. I mean, if, I I've, love that. if I've got progress and direction, to me that trumps perfection because mm-hmm. i always look at it as i'm trending in the right direction <laughs> that's it that's great you know what that yeah. means that means you're just a great trend jenny you're a trend setter <laughs> you're, you're a trend setter and you're just a trend doer but i mean that really i think i think you've done great i i think the and and again this is coming from a a, a woman that hardly had claw bangs <laughs> or maybe i had them and set the trend <gasps> <laughs> yeah, because if that's the case, you got a lot of people to talk to. There, you got a lot of people mad at you right now. Sean, <laughs> Sean's still enjoying the Claw Bang Festival. Oh, not anymore. Um, Jen, I think I think this is great, and I love too how you you're just so real about it. I mean, this isn't this isn't fast. It's just important, and you know, mm-hmm. sometimes things are just important and they take time. And the idea that we'll ever be there is probably not true because you never would have thought you'd be dealing with your parents' divorce yeah. yet. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, whoosh, curveball. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's like, come on, happy gal. <laughs> Tell us what's happy about come on, this. But, yeah. but, you know, really, if you're willing and you've got the courage to show up in your life in the places that are smaller it really prepares you for these bigger things. You, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself over the last five or so years, and it's allowed me to navigate through this situation with my parents in such a healthier way than I would have. Mm. And so it's just good to be self-aware and, you know, follow some of these steps. You got it. And we are the great beneficiaries of it all because you come on the show and teach us. Oh, I love coming on the show. Hey, it's by the fun. way, uh, you know, we're here. we're here every day. So, you want me to come down? Yeah, we're, yeah, anytime you want to come down. And I'm not saying anything, but you know, you do have a cookbook. I do. So you might want to, you might want to make some stuff, maybe. And well, I have an opportunity for you if you're going to be in Davis County on Saturday. Ooh, what's that? I'm uh, Sarah, and I are teaching a healthy cooking class Saturday oh. morning. 
You know what? Maybe yeah. maybe just Skype me in. <laughs> Skype you in, but you can't you can't sample anything over Skype. That's true. I'll send James yeah. down to get it. <laughs> you know what? So that's in Davis County. Where and when? So yeah, check the events tab of my blog, thehappygal.com. Happygal.com. Simple Saturday as that. Saturday morning, nine o'clock. You're the best, Jenny Layton. Appreciate you, and hey. uh, keep up the good work, my friend. Good luck Saturday. Thank we you. we are going to take a break and come back, wrap this show up. I want to talk to you about a 200 year old mummy that they found, and uh, just fascinating. It's really cool. In fact, I t- I'm taking the picture, and it, it's going to be the image of this mummy. It's going to now go on my wall in my office. And when we come back, Sean's going to teach us some more things that we need to learn to accept and some things we just need to change in our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. I'm on top of the world. We're wrapping it up, my friends. You are on top of the world because of this story you found. It's a great story. It's just not... It's not. I can't believe how happy you are about this story. You'll see. I'm putting this picture up on my wall. But before we get to the mummified monk from 200 years ago, before we get to the mummified monk, let's do your list... Oh, you sure? Ten things. Yeah, because I kind of want to... Okay, we'll have it, to go through it kind of quick. Yeah, then, dude, I we'll guess. go fast because this, this monk, you know, it's a great closer. Well, I found this uh, at Elite.com. It's a list of ten things you must accept and ten things you must change in your life. It's written by Lauren Martin. So it's really 20 things. And I, It's 20 things, but they're, okay. they, they're paired up. Okay, they're good. Okay? They go together. So you need to accept your imperfections and change your idea of beauty. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Accept my gut. Because, I mean, you can't fix if you've got big ears or if you've got big feet... But you can change how you feel about them. Love it. Okay. And what else? It, you know, beauty is a standard that we make up ourselves. Yeah. So I think change your, an illusion. change your perception of beauty. Accept your family. Change your friends. There you go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if you're having problems with your, fam- if, with your family, you still have to accept yeah. them as your family. But choose your friends wisely sure. because they have a tendency to become another type of family. Yeah. Fa- yeah. Friends make a big deal. And... You know, everyone could just accept they have a weird uncle. Oh, oh yes. It's just a weird mm-hmm. uncle. Uh, number three, accept your losses, change your earnings. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't let uh, the memory of things departed become part of your life any longer. They, they, they're in the past. So yeah. you can you can make up for your losses, though, if you, you can find – if you had a bad relationship, you can find a new one. That's right. But move on, basically. That's good. Uh, accept your situation, change your outlook. Yeah. I mean, you are what you are. Yeah. Here and now is not really something you can change. No. Right? No. But you can change how you respond to it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole discussion we had about Mm -hmm. hospice is you're dying. You have six months to live. Mm -hmm. Change your perspective. Life is too short not to be making the best out of situations and fretting over things that cannot be changed. That's great. Like James, by the way, when that array went wrong and you hit that, you hit, (laughs) let it go and it didn't go. You need. Yeah. You had to bring it up. It was you? a mistake, but you just you just need to change your perspective. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even care. I think it's great. But you hit it again, so we got to listen to it. <laughs> Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, accept your fate, change your journey. Ooh. Accept your fate, change mm-hmm. your journey. 
things that happen in life can't always be explained no. or changed. Right. But you can change the path that you take to them. That's good. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Things happen, and when it just that's just fate. Accept it. Exactly. But you don't have to. It doesn't mean you can't change your journey. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. Accept where you are now. Change where you're going. Oh, how many people stay stuck because they don't change where they're going? Exactly. They just are so stuck in what where they are. Mm-hmm. You have good. a choice to change your future. That's right. Don't By let your way, surroundings stop you. Which is one of the reasons why claw bangs no longer exist. Thank goodness. Because we accepted it's embarrassing yep. and we changed our way. Right, James? Yeah. Thank you. I'm Ex- glad I missed that. I'll be honest. Accept the choices you've made. Change your next ones. There you go. So accept your regrets as moments yep. past that have nothing to do with you right now and change how you make up for them. That's cool. That's really cool. Then accept those who hurt you. But change who you surround yourself with. Accept those that hurt you, but change who you surround yourself with. Accept, hey, that happened, but I can move, I can, I can be different. It can be different in the future. And it doesn't mean I have to stay Mm -hmm. with the people that keep hurting me. Just because, you know, so if someone hurts you, you can't change that. Mm -hmm. That's happened. Yeah, these are. You can't unring the bell. These are heady. Yeah, I know. These are good. But use that pain and knowledge of that pain to not let it happen again. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Pain's supposed to teach you a lesson, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. Accept your body, change your health. Mm. Now, you may not be a size two, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't treat yourself like you're a beautiful and an extraordinary person. Yeah. Okay. I've got a version of this. Okay. Accept your pooch. Uh huh. Change your hot pocket. Oh, there you go. What, to the lean pocket? Yeah. Go okay. To the, go to the lean pocket. I see. But you should take care of your body. Don't destroy it. Respect it the same way you would That's take good. care of your home. That's Oh, there you go. Yeah. Last really one. Accept the things you can't change, but change the things you can't accept. Oh, hold on. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> accept the ch- well, things here, you can't Well, here's an change. example. If you don't like cold weather, move to Hawaii. Mm. You can't change the weather. You know, it's if true. you're in New England and you didn't like that last storm that came through yeah. and you don't want to live through any more of them. What are you going to do? That's right. You got to move. You got to move. That's good. So, it's good. That's it. It's a great list. That's a great list. Mhm. Ah, oh, you guys, you did it again. You did it again. James, thank you for such a great show. Oh, you're so welcome. And we didn't hardly even talk about macadamia. Yeah. Macadamia, that's a new one. I haven't heard that mm-hmm. one before. You've never met her? No, I haven't She's heard your her. girlfriend oh. for heaven's <laughs> sakes. So anyway, I was telling you, Sean, great show, too, by the way. Thank you. It seems to be getting better. I think it's because James now shows up. Oh, well, that's true. You know, <laughs> for months. He He's here. He's present. He's in the now. He's at least here. Yeah. Uh, so I've been telling you about the mummified monk. 200 years ago, this Mongolian monk sat in the lotus position and apparently died. Okay. Heart attack? What? Or do we know? We don't know because he's dead. Well, it's 200 years ago. He's not talking much. Where was he found? So it's a completely intact remains of a mummified Mongolian monk who is amazingly intact meditating. 
He's mummified. Was he mummified naturally by the environment or did somebody wrap him up? The discovery of the man sat in the lotus position has sparked a forensic investigation into the unknown religious devotee with experts initial evaluation suggesting that the mummified remains are 200 years old. It's a human relic. It was eventually preserved in animal skin. So probably he was found in that position. And he was other, probably outside and somebody gave him a coat of and, animals. Or maybe skin. other other monks or somebody yeah. then covered him. Or maybe he was in a coat. He was in Mongolia. I don't know. Now, do you know why this is such a cool story? Why? We've talked about death today. I don't know if you remember That's that. That's true. So how do you want to be remembered? So if if your life was etched into a mummified body, what would your body be doing? This man was worshiping. He was meditating. Mm -hmm. He was in that position of ultimate peace and calm when he died. For some of us, it would be we'd have video paddle in our hand playing a video game. Some of us would be on our phone. Some of us would be in the lazy boy with Cheetos stuck to our sweater. I, I hope my family remembers that I love them. That's it. So I think you'll be in a you'll be in a kind of a fatherly position teaching your family That's in the recliner with the feet up. In the recliner with the feet up. Okay, James, what would you, how do you want to be remembered? Superman pose. Okay, well, hands on my hips. Oh man, it'd be so great. <laughs> you, you understand? Um, when, when we everything... got to get him the underoos now. Yeah, but what's funny is when it, when when you're mummified, no one's going to see the Superman outfit, and you're just going to look like a man with your hands on your hips. Yeah, well, they'll be like, that looks like Superman. Well, actually, they'll probably be more. That looks like a really mad, skinny dad. Look at that mummified physique. <laughs> Good stuff, my friends. So anyway, think about that question, folks. Again, this is going on my wall. I, I would love to die in the pose of prayer, meditation. Understandable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, yelling at my kids. Right? Yeah. Thanks for listening, my friends. Tomorrow we got a great show coming up. Uh, family, how to deal with something uh, that that we create. The author of Family Whispering, Melinda Blau, will be joining us. And also a great quote on the way out. Forget what you hurt, but never forget what it taught you. There's so much to learn on this great earth. We hope uh, we're helping you find it, the good out there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back again tomorrow with more ideas, more insight right here on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.